0: who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. This is Catherine here, your host. I am so, so glad that you are with us here today. So today we are going to sit with Brenda Flores who reveals her diverse social work background and what she did to go from CPS worker to now working with the federal government with the Department of Homeland Security. We're going to talk about what she actually does with Department of Homeland Security. What does a social worker do there? What is her role and how does she cope with the stress? Of really big things that she sees. I mean, it's it's some pretty intense stuff, you know, including human trafficking and large-scale scams and big busts. So it's a lot that she is dealing with and a lot that she is helping with. And she's also going to give her personal insider tips on what you can do right now to help advance your career further. So without further ado let's get started. Hi, Brenda. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Excited to to join you.
0: Yes, thank you so much for joining me on Social Workers Rise. Um, Let's start out by, you know, just saying a little bit about yourself and and what you do. Well, not what you do yet because we'll get into that, but um, just a little bit about well, yeah. Yeah. what you do? Let's just go in there.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk about it in more detail later. But um, currently I am a victim assistant specialist with the Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security Investigations. And like I said, we'll talk a little more about that. Um, but uh, also just involved in, in other things. Uh, my interests are in child welfare and uh in immigration. Um, so having, uh, coming from a family of immigrants, that's always something that that's near to my heart, but, um, i excited to talk to you and hopefully help others kind of look past leave social worker is and has been and kind of spread, spread that out there.
0: Yes, me too. I love it because you went from CPS, which is, uh, you know, very common. And a lot of social workers have experience in CPS. And that's essentially what we're known for. But then you have also, you know, so much experience outside of CPS and beyond that. So I love how your experience has just continued to build on top of each other, to where now you're with Homeland Security Investigations. And I think that's, that's so amazing. Yeah. Um, But I, I'm first wondering, you know, what led you to social work in the first place?
1: So I have to say, initially, it was that kind of cliche reason to, quote, unquote, help others. Um, one of my first real jobs as an adult was working in the court system. I worked with victims to determine restitution. So I got to meet and talk to a lot of people, not just the victims, but the, the perpetrators themselves. And after talking with them, um, there were a lot of problems that I could see they had and I wanted to help them, but I was limited in what I could do in my position there at the court. So that's kind of what piqued my interest. And I decided I wanted to go back to school. And I heard about a social work program that was geared towards working adults. So once in the program, I learned about all the different things that social workers could do that I'd never even thought of. I mean, when somebody said social worker, I immediately envisioned CPS social worker, like you just said, or medi eligibility worker. But once in the program, I saw that social workers do things like write or change laws, they develop and evaluate programs, they run agencies. I mean, there's so many different ways for social workers to help people and be someone's voice. Also, you know, never a dull moment uh, after being around people who had been in the profession, um, you know, you can teach, conduct trainings, consult, be liaison. So I saw that that was, you know, there's always room to grow and expand. So that's kind of what led me to it and attracted me to the profession.
0: Yes, yes, I know me too. I just I remember looking at one of the sheets or the spreadsheets of what social workers can do and it included grant writing and program management and therapy and I was I remember thinking to myself like, "What? That is so crazy. I mean, talk about job security and such a versatile degree to have."
1: Right. I mean, and, and honestly, I, I knew I wanted to help people, but I didn't know what that meant. Initially, I thought I wanted to be a clinician, a therapist. And within the first year, I realized it was the exact opposite. I had never in my life been, I had never been um, interested in policy or the law or anything. And I, you know, happened to go to a legislative day. And after that, I was like hooked and ended up going a totally different route. So I, you, you just, you never know
0: yeah it's very true. It's very true. So you mentioned that you were with c p s you know what else what else have you done that that kind of led you up to the homeland security investigations
1: so I have to say, initially, you know, right out of graduate school, I wanted to start working right away. And quite honestly, Child Protective Services is always looking for people. So I thought, well, I really didn't want to do that, but, you know, I I need to get back to work. But once I was there, I realized that there were other things within the agency that I could do. I did have to put in my few years to get that experience on the line. I was an emergency response uh, worker doing investigations. But after a while, I actually became a program specialist, and I was writing policy and procedure and acting as a liaison for the agency. I served on uh, many different uh, local and state work groups, and ultimately, I was supervising the uh, immigration unit. So I actually did quite a a few and a wide array of things while at Child Protective Services. So I do have to say that there are things that, that we can do as social workers that don't necessarily have to just be, you know, investigations or or, um, you know, the, the traditional worker roles, not that there's anything wrong with that, but for those who want to do something a little different or their fortes and more administrative behind the scenes, um, areas there, there's that. So, like I said, I, I helped develop and supervise an immigration unit while at child protective services. And I was constantly going to different um, conferences and, and meetings. And while there, I learned about the, um, unaccompanied children program that the Administration for Children and Families had, uh, that's under the Office of Refugee Resettlement. So I really became interested and I was already interested in working in those international cases. So ultimately I left Child Protective Services and moved on to uh, ORR, Office of Refugee Resettlement. And there I provided oversight of contracted providers for the program and made for these these minors. Uh, I served as the liaison Uh, and the government representative for the areas that I was in. I did this on the West Coast. So my whole area was all the way from Oregon down to San Diego. And then I moved actually to Washington, D.C. to take a promotion. And there uh, I I did the same, but on the East Coast. So I get to say I got to see the best of both coasts, lots of traveling involved, and I have to put the plug out there. But there are so many opportunities in Washington, D.C. if you're interested in the federal government. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Great. So that was an exciting program that I worked for. So that kind of pushed me further into working with um, international cases and immigrant children, and, and getting me there. And then I um, I was in DC for three years, and I was really homesick. I missed California, and unfortunately, there were no positions available with my agency. So a, a colleague of mine told me that they were hiring for asylum officers with um, Homeland Security, uh, US citizen and immigration services. So I did the interview and I got the job. So I actually came back to California as an asylum officer um, and then later became an immigration officer adjudicating different immigration petitions. Um, While I was there, uh, Hurricane Maria happened and I got to work with FEMA for three months in Puerto Rico and I was the female liaison for four local municipalities where I worked directly with the mayors and emergency management officials um, of those municipalities in Puerto Rico. So USCIS offered me tremendous opportunity to, to expand further my knowledge you know of immigration and, and like I said, even emergency management that I never dreamed I'd, I'd be doing. So again, that's why I say it's you, know, you never know you know where you're going to end up, but the opportunities are always there. And then just last year, um as for a promotion, I actually ca- came over to Gations, which is still also under Department of Homeland Security as the victim assistance specialist so it's been it's it's been a ride, but i it's been great.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. So the first thing that i I'm kind of questioning is you were starting with CPS. How did you even? How did you even transition out? Did you specifically request? Did you talk with your supervisor? Did they approach you? You know, how did that work? And I guess, you know, that could be the same for the other transitions that you made, but were you actively seeking out these other roles or, you know, what did that look like for you?
1: Um, So are you talking about within Child Protective Services, going from worker to program specialist, the the policy side of things? So I was still in graduate school. I decided to complete a combined master's, uh, PhD, and I I knew on the MSW I didn't want to take the clinical track. I decided to take the the policy track because I was interested in that. So part of my internship, I asked to be placed in the administrative side of things. So I was actually interning in the program specialist unit. And um, so when I finished school and they said, well, you know, you you can't hire in right away as a program specialist, you have to have line experience. Um, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I was, you know, once I gained a few years of experience, I was always looking to see, you know, when those jobs would post. And I, like I said, I, I did the internship and I would try to keep, keep up on things uh, following, certain bills and, and just paying really close attention to when policy came out in the agency and so I could understand what was happening and then ultimately apply for the job and I did get it
0: okay so it sounds like you knew what you wanted and you were actively paying attention to the things that would matter or the information that would help you in that position so that when the time came you were just Pretty more like well prepared. Is that?
1: Yes. Is that pretty accurate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I I always say, you know, and and like I said, even. When you're out there working, you identify gaps or even certain things that you're interested in. I I would definitely suggest you know look a little further into it, do some research on it, get some background on it, talk to your supervisor, bring up your concerns or questions, and and see is there is there something that you know we can do about it? Is there a way to become involved? That's how the immigration unit actually came out. I was a Spanish speaker, so I happened to get assigned a lot of the uh, Spanish cases. Well, in working those cases, we realized hey, we have some kids that are not citizens of the US. What do we do with those cases? Well, that kind of snowballed and we realized, well, there's certain international treaties and conventions and laws that we're not considering because we really hadn't identified these cases that, oh my gosh, we're out of compliance. What do we need to do to make this happen? So that's kind of how the unit was developed. So I, I had the opportunity to help develop that and then ultimately supervise that unit. So that was really exciting.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So what kind of tips do you have, you know, for people who might be listening, if they want to get started working with the government, if they want to get more involved in this kind of work, do you have any tips on where they could start or what they should do or what they can learn about? I
1: always say, well, usajobs.com that's all government jobs are posted there all agencies it doesn't matter and they actually they've uh, over the years have developed a lot of programs for students they have intern opportunities because i know we in our uh, department have uh, interns they also have fellowship programs so they are really gearing uh, positions and opportunities for students so that you can actually get started while you're still in school or right after you graduate from school
0: Oh, that's good. Good to know. I had no idea.
1: Yeah. Check out usajobs.com. That's a pretty, pretty cool place.
0: Okay. So tell me a little bit more about your work right now. So you are with the Homeland Security and you're specifically working with children who are, are victims, the victim, you're a victim assistance specialist. So what is what does that
1: look like? What do you? What does that mean? Okay, so the victim assistance specialist—I'll call it a VAS—that's what we call it. So a VAS works with Homeland Security uh, for, or for Homeland Security investigations, which is part of the larger Department of Homeland Security (ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement). And I have to give the plug uh, I know uh, a lot of times people think of ice and they think of our uh, you know one side of our house which is enforcement and removals and, and sometimes we don't get the greatest publicity but there's also another side to our house where we have special agents who investigate and prosecute crimes so um, I go out with the special agents on operations or victims are referred to me by the agents and these are victims of all ages they're victims of any federal crime which can include, human trafficking labor trafficking victims of cyber crimes financial crimes elder fraud schemes human rights violations identity thefts you name it whatever as long as it's a federal crime so once those victims are identified to me or i go out and and find them you know on these operations i meet with the victims and their families if they have them to provide you know crisis intervention um we assess for referrals to local agencies to ensure their needs are met i mean this can range anything from food clothing shelter to immigration assistance referrals to counselors lawyers i'm present during the forensic interviews sometimes it's necessary to travel outside of the local area or out of the country it all all depends on the type of crime the size of the operation and the needs of the victims and ages of the victim There's times that there might be one victim involved in a case. In other cases, we've had several hundred victims. So my job is to provide the victims with the services they need and the support um, to support efforts in the field to apprehend these criminals so that this doesn't happen to other people.
0: Wow. I'm just kind of thinking of all of the things that you need to be aware of, including, you know, culture, the cultural competency, trauma, um, you know, Like so many different areas that that you need to know. That's amazing.
1: This position is great for me in that it gives me a little bit of everything. I get to be involved in a little bit of of policy writing. I get to go out and liaise with other departments, agencies, administrators. I get to work one-on-one with families and and individuals. So it's a little bit of, of kind of everything. Definitely never adult moment, never boring. We're on call 24 hours a day. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of keeps my hand in the pot in a lot of different things.
0: Yeah. So what does a typical day look like for you?
1: <clears throat> um, it can be as, I don't want to say dull, but as, as, uh, calm as just, uh, responding to emails and doing administrative paperwork type of things, which is very important. And then other days, uh, you know, we can be flying out somewhere or going somewhere out of the area and setting up to, you know, be on an operation with agents and, you know, watch them do their magic and bring out victims. And we start, you know, triaging and and doing crisis intervention and and getting the referrals out that need to be made. And so it can be extremely exciting.
0: Wow. That is fascinating. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, So, you know, we talked, we talked before and you mentioned a victim center approach. So can you talk, about you know what does that mean and, and what, how can social workers integrate a victim-centered approach into their own practice
1: Well for our purposes I'll talk about that first so the victim-centered approach that we take in our agency and our program it focuses on the needs and concerns of the victim the victim's wishes, their safety, their well-being that all takes a priority we want to build trust and rapport with the victim that's critical. Um, you know, we need to. We always tell each other we need to meet victims where they are at in that moment. Everybody responds to crisis and stress differently. Some victims are seeking um, and want help immediately, and others are resistant for various reasons. And we have to just remind each other that every response is okay. Everybody deals with things differently, and each person should be dealt with on a case by by case basis. The agencies worked hard to to ensure this is happening and that the agents are trained in understanding that. Because without, you know, trust and understanding, we're not going to have a successful investigation and and prosecution on a case. But I think this approach can be applied in many, if not all, the situations we're in. Um, No matter what we do, what populations we serve, we should always consider the needs of our clients. You know, we as social workers bring a diversity of skills, resources, cultural competence, I think victim-centered approach seeks to to minimize re-traumatization. It empowers the individual by engaging them. It allows them, excuse me, to participate in the process. We educate them, we support them either by direct support or referrals. It takes, it includes taking time to explain, you know, what's going on? Who are the people involved in this process? What does the process look like? The goal is to provide a sense of safety And security in the individual's life. I mean, think about the jobs that we do now or hope to do. I I think this approach can be taken in any setting where we're helping people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And I can definitely see how it's applicable across a lot of different, you know, fields and different specialty areas. I'm kind of wondering, you know, given the economy and COVID-19 and the loss of jobs and the high unemployment, do you feel like there's going to be an increase in the amount of of fraud or victims and human trafficking that, that's happening?
1: Absolutely. We've already seen it happening. The numbers are spiking, despite, you know, there's a lot more emphasis and push and, and education. Um, unfortunately, you know, kids are at home, people are at home. So we've seen the numbers go up. Um, the access now, you know, with everybody being online, it happens and it happens. And I mean, I just, I cannot reiterate that it's not just one, it's not just male, you know, females, it's males and females. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how educated you are, every single person, child, it doesn't matter, is vulnerable to to these type of individuals.
0: That is, yeah. Yeah, it's so sad. And it's scary, too, because I know I've heard so many stories just here in California about people who are, well, mostly women and women that I've heard of, but women who are either kidnapped or they are um, not necessarily seduced, but but talked into or kind of tricked into the human trafficking world. Right.
1: It, it's not what it used to be before, where it was kind of the scary guy or your typical, you know, the, the guy that was dressed up a certain way. Now it's actually, it's scarier because it's kids own peers who are kind of, you know, leading them or, you know, we've seen guys who, you know, say, you know, oh, I want to be your boyfriend and, and, you know, make, make girls fall in love with them. And they kind of talk them into doing things for them. So it's, it, it, it's definitely taken a different angle now, different approach. I've been working with a lot of victims online and we're seeing a lot more male victims now with all the, the games, the the, the Fortnite and, and the Roblox and all these things. So, we you know, we've been doing a lot of trainings uh, via the web to parents to really be vigilant of, you know, I mean, it's happening, right? The parents are in the room, but sometimes the kids have the headsets on or they're using language that the parents aren't understanding. And parents aren't even realizing that it's 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 people are seducing or talking their ch- to their children in inappropriate ways, and they're not even aware of it. That's happening literally when they're in the room.
0: Wait, what can what can happen over the video game? Sorry, I'm very naive, but what, what can what, like, well there's se- know?
1: separate chats that go on and then sometimes they they meet out or not i don't want to say outside but in, in different venues and so there's uh, we see a lot of uh Im- images being traded or you know somebody will pose as a 12 year old boy and somehow they develop this friendship and before you know it this individual is asking the quote-unquote friend to send them a nude picture of themselves mm-hmm. or a, a sibling we've seen that so it, it's just yeah it's it's, it's sad, but it it is happening. So it's, you know, we really need parents to be vigilant of who, who they're online with, you know, is it truly a friend that they know? Because, you know, all a lot of times the kids are like, Oh, you know, this is my new friend and they think of them as friends, but they have absolutely no clue who's on the other end or who's on the other side of that chat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much to, so much to worry about as a parent. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. But we, I mean, there are, there's a lot of literature out there, a lot of good trainings online. They're, they're free. So, and that's why we try to get out there with, you know, with the school districts. We, a lot of it is, is just educating. I mean, the more people are exposed to it and are aware of it, you know, hopefully that will reduce thing, these things happening to, to their children.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. And even I'm, um... So I work with older adults mostly and I see so many older adults come to me and they say, Oh, you know, I don't have any money because I gave it to, to this gentleman in Jamaica who is going to be paying me back. And I'm like, No. no I'm yeah. Not, you're not gonna get money back. One gentleman, oh my gosh, the poor thing. So he he had a lot of money. He was a very techy guy and he met well not met but he some someone from jamaica called him and told him you know okay send me this equipment and then i will pay you back for it three times over and so the guy would go to best buy and buy this equipment and send it to him and then the guy would say okay yes i got it you know, I don't have your money yet, but we need another TV or something and he's spending all of his money. And oh my gosh, it was just, it was just hard. And he, he swore like to the day I last saw him, he swore that this guy was going to be sending him money. Yeah. Uh, and
1: that, that's definitely happening a lot. Now we have a whole unit that works just on that, uh, on fraud. Um, and, that's another one where it's a matter of getting out and, you know, people who work with seniors or our own families, our own you know, parents, aunts, uncles, to just, you know, remind them if somebody calls you, you know, do not give any money, do not give any information, don't do anything. It's really a matter of educating. Unfortunately, it's, it's difficult to, to get any compensation once they've, they've provided the money. Um, so really, it's, it's about protecting them from letting, you know, not letting it happen. Because once it happens, it's difficult.
0: to Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So many heavy stories, you know, I would imagine that you witness and that you see. How do you keep yourself from burning out and staying passionate and, and just, you know, at your best self?
1: Um, I think just looking at when working with the victims, they're so resilient, especially children. I'm amazed at how resilient children are. Um, But definitely talking things through, talking with with coworkers, uh, debriefing um, from, uh, you know, about a case with with the agents, with the the interviewers, because like you said, it is the heavy duty stuff, taking time out, you know, for myself, um our agency has a program specifically for that just because you know like myself working with victims but also the agents also get burned out and they get exposed in vicarious trauma so the agency's done a really good job about having a program specific for that they have counselors available uh to be able to speak with people but but again it's it's always good to, to debrief take time out for yourself but i get a lot out of working with the victims and trying to focus on yes this happened but what can we do to turn this around? And, and I have seen lots of success stories and I have seen victims come through and, and triumph and, and move forward. So if there's any little tiny way that I can be a part of that and help them to, to move forward, then to me, that, that helps me in the process.
0: Yes, yes, I love that. So what, do you have any advice for new social workers who are just starting out? I'd say while you
1: are in school, take advantage of all the opportunities you have to be exposed to different things. Um, Even if you think, "Uh, I'm not really interested in that. I don't know if I want to go to that conference or that meeting or that group. Um, I would say if you have the time, go to it. Like I said, I never thought I'd be interested in legislation or policy analysis. And that's what I ended up, you know, majoring in, Um, you know. as a student, you get the great discounts or or opportunities to attend things for free. So I would always say, you know, if there's internships available, take those networking groups. I would speak to the professors, more seasoned social workers. Like I said before, when you begin to work, because some of, you know, I know we have some some social workers who've just graduated. So when you begin to work in the field, look around and see what things or needs that aren't being addressed. And maybe what are some realistic ways for you to become involved? my example that I always use is that one where we ended up identifying, you know, the need with the, with the international cases and, and becoming involved in that. Uh, you, you know, I didn't think it would play such a big role, but by participating in that and partic- developing that program, not only did I help to make sure that children and families were served in culturally appropriate manners, but we also ensured our agency was in compliance with federal and international laws. We developed an MOU with the with the consulates and we kind of helped guide other counties to do the same thing so I to me as a newer social worker I felt that was a great accomplishment and I was able to have an effect on 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 people
0: yes that's amazing good for you Brenda yeah there's
1: so opportunities awesome.
0: everywhere in the field
1: but like I always say you never know where you're going to end up you just kind of have to look around and and don't be afraid to you know, to to ask or inquire further. And sometimes, you know, they may, people might tell you, oh, no, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about that. But you never know, you know, you might bring something up that nobody had thought about, or you might just come at the right time when yes, there's funding and time and, and all that available now. So ask, always ask.
0: So the word that they're gonna say is no, so you might as well, you know, ask for it, because there's really nothing that you could lose. And You can also plant that little seed into whoever's head like, oh, okay, well, Brenda's interested in these opportunities. Maybe I'll, I'll keep her in mind next time something comes up.
1: Absolutely. And that definitely has happened to me throughout. And maybe, you know, you ask once and it may not be at that time, but later it does come back around. So sometimes be careful what you wish for, because they will keep you busy.
0: (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Well, yeah, thank you so much. Was there anything else that we didn't cover?
1: No, I think we covered everything. Like I said, just, I I am so excited. Um, This field has just been a blessing to me. I'm thankful for the opportunities that I've had and hopefully our discussion here will help pique some interest in in new social workers. I wish that I would have had the opportunity, but even though I I didn't, I was still able to, to find opportunities and they're definitely there
0: yes yes you got to be creative and our skills are so versatile that you know you just never know absolutely cool well where can people find you and keep in touch or ask the questions
1: well i've been terrible about keeping my linkedin account up to date so i will cop to that but i can always be reached via my personal email which is bflores71 at ymail.com um, and i'm happy to to receive any e- emails if anybody has any, any questions or anything like that.
0: Thank you so much. Awesome. Brenda It was a pleasure talking with you. You too. Thank
1: you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to another episode of social workers rise. If you loved it, write a review and give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. This just helps other people just like you find us and join our community. Also, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at socialworkersrise. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye.